Lord, we come to you today. We come to you today through the blood of Jesus. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here. We thank you that you're here, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, that you are a good Father and that you love us, Father God. And that is above any and anything else that can come against us, Father God. And we just recognize that love today. Be thankful for that love and that grace and mercy. Lord, if you desire to speak, we just open ourselves to hear you through pictures or a word or any way that you would wish to speak a scripture, a prophetic utterance, Father God. We say, come, Holy Spirit. sacrifice of praise this morning Father God hallelujah Lord hallelujah Father God Lord we worship you this morning we just worship you Lord hallelujah Lord praise you Jesus spirit of the living God we just worship you and lift you up Lord hallelujah Lord Praise the name of the Lord this morning. Hallelujah, Lord. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Jesus, Father, we worship you and praise you and bless you and thank you for what you've done and what you are doing and will do, Father. Praise you, Lord. Lift you up this morning, Father God. Hallelujah. You are worthy, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Father God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I am coming soon. 
stayed the course, and I tried to stay the course. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father.
word of the Lord. <laughs> Take that from a young man, Logan, and bless Frank and give him yeah. to do that in the word of God. Today, that motor again, we're waiting on him. Now, as wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Thank you for your word, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Amen. The name of Jesus, there is power in that name. Yeah. I had a very interesting experience during the night. I was in spiritual battle. There were two of us. Yeah. And it looked like we were losing. And just as we thought it was game over, I cried out the name of Jesus, and the enemy fled. Mm. And God said to me, it is my name, the name of Jesus, mm. that will change and make a difference. Yes. A powerful, powerful name. Mm. No other name like it. Amen. 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 Power in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. Do not run from the Lord thy God. I will follow you. Lord, we thank you for uh, speaking to us this morning in this way. And uh, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would cause us to come alive in us and let us know what it is you are saying by the Spirit to us individually. And it's wonderful. It says, do not run, I'll follow you. That's all about obedience. That's all about don't run from God. And, and very often we do run from God. We run from struggle we run from from fear we run from all kinds of things but he's saying don't run because he's going to follow you so you might as well just you might as well just accept what he's what he's saying and doing and the idea of uh, just staying the course just keep going and that there's power in the name of Jesus and to learn how to use that name to learn when to use it and how to use it. I think we, we uh, in certainly in charismatic Christianity, have just we throw around the name of Jesus just like it's, it's like, I don't, I, I don't think we quite understand the authority that it does have or the proper times to use it. But there is power in that name, and you'll know when to use it. 
we'll know those times, but there is something about the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. And uh, it's interesting because I, I had a dream like that a couple weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, where I was in this battle with this. And it's interesting because someone had come out of this room and they were all beaten up and battered. And I looked at them and I said, use the name of Jesus. It's in you. It's deep in you. And the person kind of came alive when I said that. And then I went into the room and then I was in the battle. And it was like some of you have had those kinds of dreams and it's fierce and trying to get the name of Jesus out and it won't come and it, you're trying to get it out and it won't come and finally when it did come I boom it ended and I woke up and I was saying the name of Jesus there is power in the name of Jesus and it's not just by saying it we've got to know what the name of Jesus means it's not just some kind of Harry Potter spell that you say oh the name of Jesus and now everything's going to be okay it's understanding what Jesus did. That Jesus died on the cross, went down into hell, and had some kind of a battle down there. And he came up with the keys. He came up with the keys, which are the authority. The person who has the keys is the person in authority. And to know that he has the keys to unlock, to undo, to change, to whatever is needed, but we've got to understand that before we start just start throwing the name of Jesus around. We have to really be careful. It's kind of like taking communion when you've not made a commitment to Christ. Paul says it's actually it could work detrimentally to you. But we need to really get an understanding of what the authority of Jesus really is and to speak it based on that knowledge, not just that it's some kind of fancy word, but that it has real power and authority. And the idea that, you know, we're going to, we are going to have times where we're faint. We are going to have times where we're weary. And, but we need to understand, and it's, it's interesting because, Reg, you stressed it. You said, they who know their God. And it takes a while to know your God. And we can have some very elated experiences with God. And that's one way of knowing them. And that is really, you know, in a lot of ways, it's the way that the charismatic faith has come to experience God through these elated experiences. But that's not, I don't think that's probably the best way to, to discover God. It, it's very good. I mean, I've had those times where you're on the floor or you're overcome by the presence of God, and that really tells us something. It tells us that he's present. It's a joyous, wonderful, uh, incredible experience. But there's something about discovering God in the battle. There's something about discovering God in the valley. And we say, oh, no, here we go talking about the valley again. Here we go talking about the storm. Here we go talking about the struggle. I guarantee you, if, if, for most of the people walking in this church and in most situations, people are dealing with things now in their life that they've never dealt with before as Christians. I'm talking to them. I'm hearing it. Things, we are in a battle. And we were talking about it this morning before church. If, if, <laughs> if there's anything we need to get a hold of, 
we need to get a hold of how to walk our faith in adversity and persecution. Because if you're not aware of it now, you're going to become aware that the church is not really liked a lot. And when you take the truth and reconciliation stuff that has come, I talked about this before, a whole day where CBC is talking about the atrocities that were done by the church to people, and then all the stuff with COVID and some stuff in New Brunswick that's happening around a church that's telling people not to get vaxxed and people are dying and everything. And it, you, a, again, all people hear is the church. But even if, even if the, the world loved us to death, we still have an enemy that is trying to cause us to give up, to fall down, and say, I can't do this. And what God is saying to us this morning is said, no, stay with the course because I will pick you up and I will enable you to run. I will enable you to walk. And that's not just a theory. That's not just, you know, maybe if we, we understand something all of a sudden, that's all going to happen. God is saying, I promise I'm going to do that. For they that know their God. And again, you get to know somebody really well in the struggle. You know, you d you people you see at work and it's always the same thing. You never really get to know them. It's not until you share the difficulties, that you go through difficulties together, that you go through struggle together, that you really start to discover who they are. And it's through these difficulties and these hardships that we discover who God is. I have discovered levels of God's grace forgiveness and what he has done for me I have discovered such depth of that over this last year because I was pushed there by adversity it's actually a blessing in our life and but boy oh boy it doesn't feel like it it doesn't feel like it but it is the way that God brings blessing into our life how will we ever learn how God mounts us up makes us strong and gives us the ability to walk and run unless we are not unless we are weary unless we are doubting unless we are struggling unless we are going through those things it seems like a broken record it really does with the skip going on with this message but it's again i believe someone in our denomination said something and he's very oh my heavens he's smart it's tim sloan white out in, in the sackville church he's so smart oh he's i could listen to him forever and he said something that is very uncharacteristic of him. He said it some months ago, half like earlier in the year. He said, you know what? I think we need to start teaching our people how to go through persecution. And I don't think he knew how prophetic and true that was. And not only just adversity towards what we believe, but the adversity of life. That things are changing. That some answers aren't coming when we want them to come. Some some things are not changing when we want them to change. And it just seems like there we're in a new page. It's like God turned a page or something. And whatever normal was back there, that's gone. And it's not just normal for the world. It's normal what was normal for the church. And I think we need to get another narrative going on in our life. We need to get another perspective. One of the first things JB preached when he was here, when he was filling in for me, was the fact that God is in the midst with our struggle. God is with you in your struggle. 
but also what is the perspective in the struggle. And if we don't have the perspective that God is going to strengthen us and that there's power in the name of Jesus and that he's going to enable us to walk and he's going to enable us to run, then you can say the name of Jesus all we want, but if we don't understand God, who he is, what he's done, what he's promised, and it's, it's going to force us into maturity real fast. And I, I said this before church, um, so I was with some pastors this week, and they're talking about the best discipleship course for their people, and I'm sitting there, and they're saying, you know, I wonder what the best one is. I said, you know what? The best discipling course you can have is suffering. I hate to say it, and I said, I don't wish it on my worst enemy, what I've been through and going through. But I said, boy, oh boy, it throws you to Jesus. It throws you to being able to walk in situations that make no sense. It makes no sense. But here you are walking, and you're feeling things that you've never felt before, and, uh, and some, sometimes very negative and hard, but you keep going. And boy, oh boy, that throws you to the knees of our faith and causes us to to really find Jesus. And it's the truth. It's what's going on. When I was standing at the back, um, I just heard the word truth, that the spirit of truth, that just truth would be here today, that just truth would be here, truth about your life truth about my life, truth about who God is, truth about what he has done, what he is doing. If ever we need truth, it's now. The world is full. It is full of mistrust. No one believes anything anymore. Everyone is mistrusting everything. And you know, it's interesting. One of the things, the strength of us as Christians is that we believe when we don't see. We believe when we don't feel. We believe when there's no tangible evidence for what is written on the page. And it's a tremendous truth. But it also can be our greatest weakness. And we're watching it happen. Where we're finding that people of faith are believing some of the most outrageous things. And that make no sense. And are not even close to logical. But yet, you see, it's our same ability to believe in something because we choose to. We choose to. And I would say this, where we're going to put our faith right now is in the Word of God. That's where you put it. Not in some doctor, not in some politician. I mean, we listen to our authorities, we listen to them, and we do our best. God told us. Follow the authority of the government that you are with. And I know some people think they have every right to fight against that, but there's nothing in Scripture that says so. Now, when they come into this building and say, you cannot preach this anymore, when they come in and say, you're not allowed to say whatever which is true, solid Scripture, then we will have to suffer the consequences of that. We will have to suffer the consequences of doing it that, whatever it might be. But our ability to believe, we have to be very careful about what we're believing. 
because there's so much out there right now. There is crazy stuff going on. And, and we're watching it where, and this is another prime example. My wife said it. It was, it was a piece of wisdom. She said, the government, and I'm not criticizing the government, but I'm saying we're looking at the state of mistrust that is in the world. Todd and I were talking about this yesterday, that for so long we've seen governments say things and then not do it. We've seen such corruption at times, and it's not all bad, but we see these things over the years. And now when the government really needs you to trust them, we don't. And so I say that we, by the, by the culture, is having a hard time trusting. And it gets really difficult. And I'm saying, Father, we only have a finite amount of belief of believability, you know? We only have so much this. Put it in this. Put it in this. And so, and something beautiful about what God says is this piece of scripture, Romans 8, 31 to 39. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? This piece of scripture, we've talked about it before, but this piece of scripture is probably uh, probably the highlight of Paul's, all of Paul's letters. Some people believe this is the greatest piece of scripture in the New Testament. Wow, I made that, I made that small, didn't I? I forgot to, I forgot, <laughs> sorry about that. You'll just have to go along me reading it here. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? So it's saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? This is a powerful statement. That predicates on the belief that you believe God is with you and that he's for you. And what the devil's going to try to do is to come around and try to tell you that God's not with you. Look at what's happening. How can God be with you? Look at what's happening. How can God be with you? Look at what you're thinking. Look at what you're feeling. Look at how little faith you have. Look at all this stuff that's going on in your life. Look at the thing you did 50 years ago. Look at what you did yesterday. How many are familiar with this process? The only thing the, evil, the devil has to throw at you is what you've done. Right? And the only thing we have to throw back at the devil is what Jesus has done. And everything, I said it, Mary and I were talking about this morning, everything that the devil brings to you to try to condemn you with, you say, well, no, because that's what God has put on Jesus on the cross. So everything the devil tries to condemn you for, Jesus has already been condemned for. And like I said to Mary, I said, Mary, we don't even know the half of what's inside of us. I mean, you know what comes out of you in traffic, driving in your car. You know what comes out of you when someone comes up and tries to correct you. You know what happens when all of a sudden you feel someone's getting better treatment than you're getting, especially in this society where we think everybody should be getting everything they want and when they want it and how they want it. Nobody wants to be a second-class citizen. Well, guess what? The first person who should be willing to be a second-class citizen is a Christian. 
the first person who should be able to accept the fact that their rights are being violated should be a Christian. The first person to be able to say, I will take what I have to take in order to obey and to be, is a Christian. Nowhere in Scripture is it seen where a Christian is standing up protesting their rights. What we do see in Scripture are Christians enduring their persecution. Nowhere did Jesus come up and start railing against the Roman Empire. Nowhere did Paul do that. Did not try to change the political structure. Were their rights being violated? Absolutely. But they just endured it. And that's what we're being called to, is endurance. We're being called to endurance. And I'm telling you, it, it's not fun. There's nothing fun about it, but there is a reward in it. And it might be eternal. We may not even get it here. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? <laughs> I mean, devil come and tell you everything that you shouldn't, that for every reason why you shouldn't expect God to love you. And But what it's saying here is God has chosen. Remember we talked about that before? I am more and more and more falling into the camp of predestination. That God chose you. You didn't come to Jesus because you all of a sudden decided you want to live a better life. You came because God did a supernatural, miraculous act and came down and touched you and said, this is right, follow me. Now, I don't know why he doesn't do it to everybody. I don't understand that. I don't know where that all works. But what scripture seems very clear about is that you have been chosen and I have been chosen. And that God chose you <laughs> just the way you are. And sometimes we're pretty bad. And God knew it before he called you, before you were even born. He knew everything that was going to happen. He knew all of your dark parts. And guess what? He loves those dark parts. He likes those broken parts. That's why he came. He's like a parent. What parent doesn't like taking care of a child's brokenness or their wound or something? You want to do that. You want to help. You want to help them heal. You want to, and God wants to do that. It says, who can accuse us? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Done deal. End of statement. There's nothing that you and I can do that's going to make us more right with God because Jesus is what makes us right with God. And to say that we have to do something else in order for God to to really, boy, if I was better at this and if I was better at that, then God would really move. No, that's not what it's about. That's, that's not what it is. Je th that's like saying, if Jesus would have been a little bit better, then God would give me more. No, Jesus was enough. He's enough. It's finished. It's enough for what God wants to do in your life. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. So Jesus is up there pleading for you. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are per persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Well, okay. So... Look at that. Look at that recipe. 
This is Paul saying, these are the things we should be expecting. These are the things we should be looking at. And then it says, as Scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And the victory that's in that is not so much that we will be delivered from those things, but that we will be able to endure those things. That is the victory that's being talked about here. It's not that we won't go through them. It's that we will have some kind of overcoming thing. And in the middle of it, again, I don't, I don't expect the glory to come in the middle of the battle. But at the end of your walk, you're going to look back and you're going to go, oh, my heavens, how did I get through that? God brought me through that. You don't feel in the middle of it like you're getting through it. But once you get through it, and then you look back and you see it. You see it at the end. I wish we could see it in the middle. God, give us a wonderful revelation of the, of the victory we're going to have in Jesus. But all he says is just profess the victory you're going to have in Jesus. Just speak the victory you're going to have in Jesus and believe in the victory you're going to have in Jesus. And he'll give us the strength to do that. Sometimes it's down there. Sometimes it's up there. But nonetheless, he'll give it to us. And then Paul says, in the greatest piece of scripture ever written in the New Testament, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither. And this was written, remember, this was written at the end of Paul's career as, as in ministry. It was his final years. So he had been through a lot. That's why he could say all these things. Because those things, if you look at the letters that he spoke about, he had experienced all those. So he's not saying theory here. He's not trying to write good doctrine. He's talking about an experience. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. There's no sense us trying to lie and say to God, I don't have any fears because if you're fearful, that means you're not a Christian. No, that means, that that means you're a human being who is in that very difficult middle ground of being yet human, yet spiritual. We have the Spirit of God in us, yet we still have the old sinful man that hangs on, and, and we have all of his feelings and her feelings, and so there is that, that tension. This is the tension of living on the earth. One day we won't have that. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a powerful, powerful statement. And that is something we are going to need to get a hold of and start taking it off this, the page as being a beautiful, eloquent piece of Scripture, but to being a living reality. And there's incredible depths in this that Paul is talking about, that he's saying, yeah, even in that, you will not be separated from God. I, I've often said it about Paul, like when he was going through everything he was going through, three shipwrecks and how many times he was whipped and all of those things. At what point did he have to go through learning this? He had to learn it. At what point was he getting whipped yet again and saying, God, are you with me? 
are you really with me? You're letting this happen again? I was at a church back in the spring, and a woman stood up and said she had cancer six times. Six times. What are you saying around the fourth, fifth boat of cancer? Are you saying it's over? Are you saying, obviously, God has left me? Obviously, I have no reason to hope, or I'm hoping in vain. Little did she know that on the sixth one, she'd get healed. We don't know. We don't know how God is going to show his glory in our lives. Uh, you know, Liz talking about her brother, who for three years stuck in South Africa, trying to figure out how to get his life going, and he was in utter despair. Liz and I were talking about it yesterday. Utter despair. Saying, a, a kind of almost giving up on God. Three years, he was trying to immigrate to other countries, trying to find a better job to take care of his family, and nothing, nothing was happening, nothing. You were here when Liz spoke about it. And then in one week, someone calls him from his past, lets him know about a job, and all of a sudden he is, in one week, his whole life went zoink after three years. And not only zoink, like it didn't just turn around. He's going to Mauritius, which is the closest picture of paradise on the earth. And all the accommodations are being made for him. They're flying his family over. Everything's being taken care of. Three years, one week. Jesus, the scripture says that Israel was delivered from Pharaoh in one day, to the day. 340 years, I think it was, to the day. One day they were slaves. The next day they were not. And this is not there to make us uh, resent anything. It's there to give us hope. Uh, R.C. Sproul, pretty smart guy, wrote this. I think I have the quote up there, Liz. Divine sovereignty is the ultimate source of comfort for the Christian believer because it means that God is in control of his destiny. What could be more comforting to the Christian than to know that the outcome of his life is not in the hands of fortuitous circumstances. That means just things that just happen. It's just go, I don't know what's going on and whatever happens. It's not that, but it's in the hands of a benevolent God. That your life is in the hands of a God who loves you. Your life is in the hands of a God who loves you. Your life is in the hands of a God who loves you. Your life is in the hands of a God who loves you. And that God is going to do only what is best for you. And the devil is going to try to convince you through every circumstance that that is not true. That that is not true. And Liz and I were talking about this Friday. We get in situations... Help me, Jesus. We get in situations where we are like hanging on white knuckle with our faith, living this. If I don't have enough faith, I'm finished. If I let go of God and I can't hold on anymore, I'm done. That is a complete flagrant lie. Because when you let go, do you know where you land? in the hand of God. 
They say, well, I don't believe that. John 10, 28 to 29, Jesus speaking, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. If that isn't predestination, if that isn't the promise of God, that you will not perish, you will not perish. Stop thinking you're going to perish. I'm speaking to myself. It took me eight months to believe that. I was sitting in absolute darkness for eight months because I couldn't get my head around that. The, the onslaught of the enemy was so strong. The anxiety, if, if any of you had an anxiety attack, you know what I'm talking about. There's no faith in the middle of an anxiety attack. Trust me, it just isn't there. When you're going through one for eight months, continuous, you have a hard time believing anything. But I had to come to a point of believing that God would not let me perish. No one can snatch them away from me. Nothing's going to snatch you away from Jesus. We live in a faith that at times gets very freaked out around losing your faith. That somehow you're just going to, you know, if you go to a psychologist, well, they're going to take your faith away. If you go to a doctor and get, and get some medicine, that's because you don't have faith and you're going to lose your faith. Crazy things. These weird thoughts that, that we get about we're holding on to our faith as if it's somehow up to us. God said, nothing will separate you from the love I have for you in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about your love for him. He's talking about his love for you. And the, the fact is, you know, maybe you don't want to go to a psychologist. I just use those because, you know, I had to deal with those, those issues. And, but, I mean, if you wanna, don't want to go to a psychologist, you don't want to go, but not because you're going to lose your faith. You know, when I first started this, when I was 24 years old, going through these, these struggles, these whatever it is, um, I was in a faith at that time that believed if you went to a doctor or took medicine that you were going, that you would somehow compromise on Jesus. And it's probably one of the reasons that it went so long because I never got help at the time I needed it. But, but nonetheless, it was born out of a fear that somehow you're going to do something that's going to take God away from you and then you're going to be lost. And meanwhile, God's saying, no, there's nothing that can come, <coughs> excuse me, nothing can come between me and you. Now, if you don't want to go to that and do that, that's between you and God. But it's not because you're going to lose your faith. It's something that's a personal way you want to live your life. And that's up to you and God. It's not right or wrong in it. But it says in this beautiful thing, no, no one can snatch them away from me. For my father has given them to me. He has given you to Jesus. Like you have actually been picked up. Taken by God, you know that thing you used to play, you put a quarter in and you go and try to pick up the thing that you can never pick up? Like what kind of an insanity thing is that? Like you go over and you grab it and it just doesn't pick it up. <laughs> you know, like the host always wins when it comes to gambling, right? The host always wins. And you got the darn thing or you'll pick it up and then it will drop it. God ain't going to drop you because he is saying in his word that he is committed to pick you up take you over and put you into the hand of God, into the hand of Jesus. 
For my Father has given them, you, to me, and he is more powerful than anything else. I don't know what's coming against you. I know what's been coming against me. And I am standing in the authority and the belief that God is more powerful than it. And I'll tell you, at 2 o'clock in the morning, when you wake up in the middle of it, it don't seem like God's more powerful than it. When you're standing there facing the, the terror of it, it don't seem like God is greater than it. But I'm standing here. I'm standing right here. And everything in all hell has been trying to stop me from standing right here. And then it says, no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. No one. Not some crazy doctor. Not some maniacal devil. Not some COVID. Not some crazy government. Not some persecution. Nothing is going to snatch you from God's hand. It's not up to you. It's not up to you. God is saying that he's not going to allow it to happen. You may feel snatched. You may feel like you're very snatched. But you think Paul wasn't feeling it when he was being whipped? You think those people that were burned? Paul wrote this at the time of Nero. Nero is the one that we talk about. He's one of the first ones who brought the persecution on the Christians in A.D. 64, 70, 64 to 74, something like that, in around that time. But it was, it was during Nero that Paul and Peter were both martyred. But Nero was a crazy guy. And he lit most of Rome on fire. Ten of the 14 districts in Rome burnt. And he made a windfall out of it because he took the land and, and expanded his palace. The man was crazy, but when he started to realize that people were catching on that he did it, he turned it and said it's the Christians. The Christians had just started coming into the Jewish quarters of Rome at that time. The Jews were okay. Uh, they were okay in Rome. There was no problem. Rome had no problem with the Jews. When the Christians came and started bringing the, the Jews into Christianity, there started to be this, this more evident sect. And they, anyway, Nero blamed it on the Christians. And that started the persecution. And he would take them, as you know, and put Christians in skins of wild animals, sew it onto them, and then put them with dogs in the Colosseum. And they would be killed. Or they would take clothing and, and harden it with wax, put it on them, and then light the clothing on fire. And Nero, as you know, that famous thing, he would put them on poles and he lit his gardens with Christians who were burning. Um, I don't know if they felt that God was with them at that point. You know? And many of the, the Christians under torture gave the names of other Christians. And we say, oh, we'd never do that. Yeah, we might. Yeah, we might. Did that disqualify them from God? God knows what people are able to handle. God knows what you can handle. God knows that if your faith is being tested to a degree that you just can't really believe, you just can't believe, you're just like dead, I can't see it. Don't worry, you're in my hands. It's not about you believing. 
And I know that, yes, there is that, I know there's preachers and there's people that would stand up and say how important faith and belief is. And it's true, it is important. But what are we believing? What are we putting our faith in? In our ability to rise up to this victorious level of faith and then everything will happen? Or are we believing that there's a God who's bending down to us in the middle of our struggle and saying, I am with you. And don't you worry, you're in my hand. Don't worry, don't worry about falling. Don't worry about getting lost in the debris of all that's going on in your life. I know it, I've got you in my hand. So Exodus 15, 13, I finish with this. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. With your unfailing love, unfailing love, that means his love for you will not fail. It will not fail you. You will get through. You will come through. It will not fail. Will lead the people you have redeemed. You have been redeemed. And redeemed, the word for redeemed there, means you are delivered from evil. Fundamentally, we have been delivered by the cross of Jesus.